Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the latest episode of Things We Find Interesting. We're joined today by something a little bit different. We're joined by a man of music. We're uh, joined by Jules, an old pal of mine from the army. He's gone and done a few things quite differently after leaving, one of it which we're going to talk about today, which is his musical brand, uh, JVN. You can get it. You can guess where he got the the uh, inspiration for the name from, um, and he's essentially doing some really interesting stuff as an electronic music producer and DJ um, in a few places in London. And we're going to investigate that a little bit more. We're going to look into how he started off doing some of this stuff, some of the creative process that comes into it, and really looking into that question of if you've got a bit of an interest in music and you want to take that next step and you want to get a bit more creative, you want to start making it yourself. How do you do that? How do you start taking those steps forwards by looking at Jules's um, story himself? So, Jules, welcome to the podcast. How are you? Very well, thanks, Sandy. Thanks for having me. No, it's great to have you on. Um, so, this is something super interesting. I'd love to know the origins of this because I know that you've got a musical background from quite a young age. And so, I'm going to start you off with a little bit of a question of, of, of taking you back to the past. Your memories of music how far back can you trace them and more importantly can you can you trace back to that moment of, of, of where you, you you decided music's not just something i like but it's something i think i can create i don't know whether you've got any memories from your past that, that sort of resonate with with that sort of moment yeah um I, I was lucky that i grew up in a household where music was accessible and encouraged all the time and both of my parents adored music and exposed me to as much of it as they could and so my my earliest memories were and my happiest memories were around music um playing it listening to it performing it and some of the earliest memories i have are mostly around the piano actually because my we had one at home and my my dad was a very accomplished pianist um and i think i grew up exposed to a yeah music music was kind of a constant really it was actually the first sort of the first constant in my life and in terms of when I first realized that I wanted to start making it I'm not sure it was a really a conscious decision it wasn't really intentional I just realized that being given access to musical instruments meant I could start to create sounds or things of myself so did you experiment quite because uh, I'm guessing we're starting here with you know classical music. You mentioned the piano. We're sort of mm. talking about a classical. Did you play any other instruments? So I played the recorder, as oh, lots of school children do, <laughs> <laughs> um, and the piano, and I sang as well. Um, and throughout my childhood, I perceived music in that kind of schema, really, in terms of kind of academic music musical theory and that kind of thing and when I got a bit older um I think you know I must have been about you know nine or ten um my parents asked me if I wanted to kind of pick an instrument to pursue as a soloist and I was desperate to play the saxophone <laughs> because I had listened to jazz and thought that that was at the time, the most interesting and expressive instrument. And for some reason, my parents pushed me towards playing the oboe. Um, that's, a, that's a bit niche, because back there, you know, that wouldn't have been that long after Bill Clinton was was famed for whipping it out at, at the odd, uh, the odd <laughs> event and uh, being the cool president. Yes. Um, I think that they wanted me to explore music that wasn't necessarily... Um, just what was being listened to at the time i think they had this sort of they took the view that 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 there is so much amazing art in the world why limit yourself to what is being done in the time that you're alive mm. and so i was listening to early music and choral music and renaissance and baroque music and all, all sorts of stuff and um in some senses, I think that, you know, as lots of middle-class parents do, were kind of projecting onto me what they wish that they could have done, given the opportunity, perhaps. But, um, yeah, the, I was very lucky, actually, because the thing about the oboe 
is that it is a very technical instrument and it requires a lot of discipline and it requires a intimate understanding about the era of music that you know the corpus of music that's written for it you know in, in the renaissance the also late renaissance and Baroque period and um i think it made me a it kind of instilled in me how much hard work and dedication is required to be to achieve a technical mastery of something that's that's a really interesting one there because you know we go back to that question of sort of when did you realize you could do it yourself and i you know i had a, I had a little bit of that um of a similar background you know uh, parents who are quite keen on classical music played the trumpet double bass did a bit of singing um and i never really felt that i was at that technical proficiency to step off the sheet music and actually do it for myself and i, and I yeah. sort of have that question of like is there you know is there a level of technical competency in these these instruments that you sort of need to achieve and then you suddenly unlock the ability to kind of compose and create or was it is it an attitude thing is it that um actually having a slightly creative mindset and an approach to, to play about with things and not be worried about getting it wrong can be applied from a much earlier level and i'd be curious that whether you whether you had a similar journey or whether you were sort of experimenting with with a sort of at a younger age I think all art requires some level of technical mastery to know how to bend or break the rules. And the and I think there's a lot I could say on this topic, but the, the thing about art in general, not just music, that interests me is that um, you can create um, by putting constraints around what you intend to achieve, you know, by forming a constraint around something. If you are it's very, very difficult to create uh, on a blank canvas with absolutely no direction at all. Whereas if you start to add very small constraints, some, sometimes that can encourage a way of thinking that inspires you to, to, to write or um, you know, compose or, or to paint something. I like and that. So, and, as a, and as a way of sort of like teaching people as well as kind of, as you say, start off with the with the sheet music and then say where could you add where could you add some slight changes where could you change the sort of feeling of the piece just with some small changes is much less kind of is much more approachable than than as you say the formidable blank page where do, where the hell do i start and a lot of classical sort of um is it pedagogical thought is around this idea of learning how to create a pastiche of something so you know, famous artists or or you know when I was being taught how to play the oboe it was about um you know how well can you as an artist interpret this piece of music within the bounds of how it was meant to be performed that was the kind of the the ultimate goal and I began that journey at quite an early age and I think there's also this sort of like the it's like the the swimmer's body fallacy you know people say oh, I want to look like a swimmer well actually the people that have that body type end up being good at swimming and therefore they enjoy it and therefore they do it more yeah you know, it's a little bit like that with music i think we forget sometimes that there's a certain point and i don't see this out of, out of arrogance i wasn't i don't think distinctly markedly better than anyone else was but i was certainly better at certain things and i enjoyed being good at it <laughs> and i just continue to do that and so you know by by virtue of enjoying being good at things i've started to really understand the boundaries of what I could or couldn't do with a certain instrument. And the, the tipping point for me was when I got to the point where I felt as though uh, I needed a new expression in terms of the timbre that I could create through, through the instrument. And an, an oboe will take you so, so far in terms of what the kind of accepted range that instrument is and, and you know, a piano well and all those sort of things. And it wasn't until I got into the guitar where I started to learn about kind of manipulating sound, mm. I realized that you could essentially create any sound you want. And at around the same time, I started to get, get into uh, sort of recording technology and, uh, or, you know, sort of um, the, the very basics of using a computer in music, whether it would be to record things or to manipulate sound or whatever. And I realized there was this boundless um sort of so what I'm looking for. Yeah, boundless possibilities for 
creating different sounds. And I think that was the beginning of that journey into kind of electronic music, really. I, I really I really like that actually in terms of actually it suddenly opens up for one person to be able to create so much variety because yes classical music is hugely intricate and, and I see that as one of the um in terms of of an understanding of music is one of the beauties of of, of of having learned classical music at a young age is that ability to to listen to some great orchestral piece but be able to pick out all the small little bits that are going on. What are the brass doing? What are the, you know, the, the, the first violins doing? And yet the, the, the violas are doing something subtly different. And that ability to take something that in your face sounds massive and really complicated and see all the little intricate parts. But it is reliant on having all these people, you know, because each instrument is playing a singular, you know, melody, isn't it? And, um, and it's about when those all get ma- matched together. Whereas if you're one guy on your own, you know, Unless you're going to record yourself playing the oboe five different times at different, you know, and create some sort of harmonies that way, you're sort of fairly limited, aren't you, in terms of your range? But suddenly you you bring in this technology and you bring in the ability to blend sounds, and you get that whole kind of, you know, one person can create so much variety in music. I think that's really fascinating. Um, yeah, I also think that there's something very interesting that's happened where we've been given a shorthand for being able to listen back in real time to the music we're creating. Whereas if you think about Mozart or Beethoven sat there with a piece of manuscript paper and a pen, they weren't ever able to get the real-term feedback of what they're listening to, the, the technical mastery of understanding and being able to... They had to imagine it. They had to sit there and be like, yeah, this is how it will sound when it's played by a 50 And I can, understand, I can understand what that feels like. I, I'm not in any way claiming that I've got the technical mastery of a composer like that, but I can understand. And I actually think that we have become, or, or at least popular musicians are um, maybe not either technically skilled enough or, or maybe don't understand that what is possible if you achieve a certain technical mastery on something. And I think that that, can be an incredibly um, rewarding thing to try and do is to kind of go back to basics to think about, you know, what is the thing that I'm actually envisaging in my head? There are artists that are doing this. I mean, Floating Points is a good example of somebody who I think um, clearly has a high technical knowledge about music. He's clearly a very bright intellectual person anyway. Um, But also has a a vision in his head about what he wants something to sound like and, and will construct sound around that. And, you know, going back to that kind of the, the first question, um, I've, al- I've also always noticed music in, I mean, music is around us everywhere. Like all, you know, music is, is sort of organized sound, really. And so for me, I, I was always really interested in disorganized sound and I don't know if it's something of quirk around the way my brain works, but when I hear something like repetitive or thing, I, I enjoy the musicality of it, whether it's the sound of the click on the kettle or, you know, a drill outside or all those kind of very simple things. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen uh, Spaced, the, the sort of BBC um, comedy with, mm. there's a there's a guy in there called, I think his name is Wheels or Tires or something like that. He's uh, constantly taking cocaine and cycling around London and he, he sort of uh, always attracted by the sound of his environment and I, I sort of felt like that growing up I was always interested in sound that, and so it's all, sort of things, gone. it's all those things kind of happening at the same time you know realizing the boundaries of what you can actually create with an instrument feeling like there's all this sound that you want to capture I didn't know the name for any of these things I didn't know what I was trying to to do but also we were we were growing up in the age of of sampling um and so there's a sort of fantastic musical movement that we were we were kind of living through that we didn't even realize we were a part of and you know, to be a kind of classically trained musician in childhood and in my teen years and then also to be sort of exposed to all this stuff at the same time it was a i think what a what a fantastic time to be alive in terms of of you know learning music I, and that's, I love that point you, you made there about sort of, um, you know, seeing the sounds and uh, seeing how these these could be kind of essentially yeah, turned into music. Music is a series of of these sounds. And I wonder if that plays, I'd be curious to know about your sort of composition um, process. 
and whether mm. it it does it originate as we were sort of discussing earlier somebody ha- feels a, a particularly strong emotion about something i think i was listening to the, you know there's some shop on music on the radio and they're talking about this is something he wrote for the death of his his sister you know and uh, and the music is is so sort of sorrowful and mournful and and deep and it feels like he's taken an emotion and thought how can i turn this emotion into some into a sort of sound form into a combination of melodies and harmonies that that, that sort of progress in a way that, that that portrays this human emotion or almost like taking a completely different approach as you said there here's a sound oh there's something really interesting in that okay let's start working on that let's start building on that does that actual sound and that rhythm and that cycle become the origin of the piece and actually you don't even know what the the mood of the piece is going to be until it's kind of fully formed yeah and i, I think that yeah, creation is also meant to be fun and there's different ways of approaching it i think the what you're talking about there is exactly how i enjoy uh collecting sounds so the, the in terms of kind of creating kind of creating music is is for me two very very distinct processes one of them is is essentially what i think people would call sound design so for example you know, I go. I, I literally go and collect things that I think are interesting. I've you know, got things. an image of you walking around in a sort of port pie hat <laughs> with a with a microphone, being like, "Oh, excuse me, sir, may I just collect that sound in front of you?" <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm ashamed to say I did plenty of that, less the port pie hat um, at university. But um, yeah, there's something about um, just enjoying the process of making sound. So when I was when I was learning the guitar, I realised that you could buy pedals and mess around with them and. I had no particular aim in anything other than just exploring how the thing that I'd bought worked. And in doing so, you create interesting sounds. And so I've kind of continued to apply that process in every type of composition that I've done, whether it's, you know, a more kind of formal pen to paper composition or, or, you know, when you're creating a bank of sounds for electronic music. And it kind of depends what you're trying to achieve. So for example, if you're writing something, you know, if you're if I want to write a techno tune, then I'll be thinking about, oh, I need a drum or I need, you know, a kick or a snare or, you know, some kind of hook, or I want something kind of repeating a pattern uh that I can layer across. And I'll I'll just sandbox. I'll sit there and just make sounds and plug things in and see what they sound like. And and you end up with a composition that, you know, or or at least you you end up with these little bits and pieces and you can just say well i like that i'm going to keep that or i'm going to pop that in the bank for something else another time and then then comes the arrangement aspect of it so once you've got a bank of sounds you can start to arrange them into something or you can see what fits and sometimes that will come from one sound like the the track that i've um you know started to release or, or leaked uh is just came from a TikTok video that I liked. It was a, a bunch of school kids in Ghana singing in the playground um, about how they weren't interested in having a girlfriend. And I thought it was quite funny. And so I just saved it and I downloaded the the sound. And at some point I kind of chopped it all up and there were some drum beats in there and there were some little clicks and there's some clapping. And I thought, well, actually there's, there's a bit of structure here. I can start use that bit here and use that bit there. And suddenly I found myself with a bank of sounds and I was like, okay, right. The next time I open this up, this is going to be an arrangement. I'm going to start to, to build this into some kind of song. But then you've got on in the complete opposite way where you're talking about, you know, I want to make something that makes us feel like this or, or I felt like this and I want to create a piece of art that represents that. Um, so you've done a bit of both there of those two mechanisms. You've sort of taken the spirit of a moment, but also taken some of the the clip the clippings of it, and said, "How do I recreate that the spirit of that moment using the clippings and lots else?" I quite like yes. that. I like that as a as um as a sort of uh, as a creative process. And I, I I have done that in other ways too, where it, where almost retrospectively. I've been trying to make something about how I feel, but but in in the process, it's not often that clear. I think that sometimes artists are very keen to attribute some form of meaning to something, but actually that the sometimes the process in and of itself is a process of discovery. You get to the end of it, and you think, well, actually, I, I've made something that represents how I feel, but 
I didn't set out intentionally to do that. And maybe it was something, yeah, maybe it was something that, you know, through the sort of study of the process, through the creative process, you kind of came to a, a certain emotion, a certain sort of perspective. It might not even be something, you know, an event that happened to you. It might just be like through that process of engaging it, you kind of reach somewhere that's profound in the, you know, in the sort of human experience. And you made something about that. I love that point actually is, yeah, because it does sometimes feel like, <laughs> you, know, you know, I sometimes question how do, how do artists have enough life experiences to make all these songs? How does Taylor Swift have so many uh, people to be furious at? Um, and they undoubtedly live more exciting and interesting lives than I do. Um, but uh, yeah, I like that kind of honesty of kind of like, you don't necessarily have to have a story behind everything. I think that a lot of people are live action role playing their own lives. <laughs> you know, there's uh, there's that that program Office Space, um, which which essentially is a. Uh, is that the one with Ugly Betty in it? Perhaps it perhaps it is. I forget. I but, um, is it the film where they like smash up the the TVs and stuff with Ron um, Ron Livingston in it? Yeah, it's it's a but it's about it's like a nineties how... film. Yeah, it's it's um it's about how people are, are live action role playing at work. They 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 create, um, you know, sort of small acts of the human condition, like you know the, the tragedy and the comedy, these sort of micro situations, and they they they're entirely constructed. You know, the deadline, the deadline is looming. You know, there's all sorts of things. I think artists use these, um you know, use that as well. They sort of like, they put themselves in situations where they think they might be more interesting. It's, it's definitely a trope in writing. And I found that, you know, when I was writing, when I was trying to seriously write, um, I, I didn't say no to anything. I was I was entirely um, selfishly focused on increasing the opportunity for experience. So I think a lot of, I think a lot of artists do that. And it sometimes, it, yeah, I mean, you could say it's disingenuous, but I guess that's what people are driven to doing. Um, and I'm, I'm a very nostalgic person, generally speaking, uh, and so I think a lot of my music uh, doesn't necessarily need me to seek new experiences. That it's mostly around the nostalgia of something I've already experienced a long time ago. There's something, yeah. I think there's a sort of melancholy nostalgia about the way that I construct sounds and what interests me in music. Are you? Uh, nostalgic about Sandus yet, or is it still there? Uh, <laughs> I don't think that's going to be featuring in any any music anytime soon. Maybe maybe the click of a uh, a sort of um, you know steel toe capped boot against the the tiling as you walk through. That's quite or the sound of a, a corner on a on a bed sheet being folded properly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not quite sure what that would sound like. So, something like that, maybe. Um, <laughs> we'll just music. Okay, I'll just say okay, fine. So Jules, you then went on to university and actually took this a step further and you, you studied music at university. How does that work? Like, you know, I, I was an engineering student. It's pretty obvious what you get to go and do when you get there. A load of like maths and physics in lecture halls. If you get to study music, what happens? Are we, are we turning up and sort of playing instruments as, as teams? Are we sort of like creating mood boards? Or are they like walking you through here are some different composers and this is the kind of theory behind each different one and you might want to incorporate this into how does that how does that work for the layman? I think experiences are very different depending on what you choose to do with that degree. Um, there's a video I always like to remind myself about my first week at university where of the 50 music students in my cohort of which i should state that we were the last at uea uh very sadly um because the university decided it wasn't a profitable enough course and not bitter about that obviously but um the video has the 50 of us in one large concert hall and we're all playing <laughs> some form of interpretive rhythm you know, and it's just nonsense. It was when people joke that I'm going to do a music degree. That's what I showed them. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. I enjoy, I garbage. Doubling, down, <laughs> doubling down. But you know what? I think that very, very few people, if they were honest, could really 
contribute to that type of situation. You actually had 50 very accomplished musicians um, relaxing into the idea that that they were all rel- relatively capable. And as silly as it sounds to, you know, sort of make a joke of it and to look at it now, I look at the people around that room and there are some very accomplished musicians. And of course they found it funny because we were relaxing into the idea of, of composing something out of our comfort zone. And juxtaposed with that, the next day when I was, you know, three days into Freshers Week, as a 21-year-old, by the way, so I went to university after three years of writing and I was a bit older, not necessarily much wiser. Um, and on that third day, we had a visiting professor from Harvard who delivered the first 30 minutes of our lecture in German and then looked around at all of us when somebody eventually put their hand up and said, I've no idea what's going on, and said, in order to understand the Viennese school, you, you need to have a at least a passing ability to understand German. And um, I felt that juxtaposition through the whole course, really. Intense, rigorous academic gatekeeping there, isn't it? And um, some things that just seemed sort of silly to be almost like indulgent. And I think that we, I think there's something about that that's, maybe that's my projection, but I think that we in the UK treat the creative arts as a bit of a joke. Um, And I think that the university cutting that course speaks volumes for the support that, you know, the wider sort of institutions give to the creative arts. Yeah, isn't it? Because people would accuse, would say the UK doesn't take, um, you know, doesn't take the STEM subject very seriously. It's a sort of classic one. Um, Mm. And they sort of show the stats of members of parliament and how many of them have, you know, got a STEM background at all. And it's a sort of laughably small number. But then, yeah, you're right. Maybe on the on the on the other end of the spectrum of like the the arts at at a more extreme, they, they, they don't look at it either. Maybe we're sort of sitting in. I can imagine Britain's Britain's kind of like a English and history type nation, aren't we, with our with our education? And we're stock full of people that have gone into finance, really. When you think about the political parties and you know, we have these big institutions, banking, insurance, you think of Lloyd's of London, the legal uh market within the UK is very strong for various reasons and and so we we treat other uh, subjects with with this sort of disdain. And what the result of that is is that we're not really a particularly high functioning, creative producing nation anymore. America is the the musical center of the world, mm. really. Even for and we we have created some very interesting music, and London especially is a. Because we seem to do all right on pop bands, you know, British pop bands, which maybe aren't the most musically creative of the sort of on the spectrum of music that's being produced and the most kind of avant-garde music out there. But they seem, we seem to sort of punch above our population weight, you know, even against the Americans on on, on a lot of our pop music. What's your sort of theories behind behind that? I, you know, I'm not sure. Um, I've always been interested to know about the, the sort of, unit economics of British pop exports. Um, but I think it's very different in terms of, you know, and I can go back to university days um, in a bit more detail, but seeing as we're on this kind of tangent, most of the big musical genre shifts since the 1950s have, have come from America. And we have created some very interesting subgenres in jazz and in you know techno and in more recently in drill uh but they are american genres and we have very much made them our own and i'm not saying that the uk doesn't have its own we we do have our own musical ecosystem of course but and i and i think it's you know I, I use the word ecosystem um you know specifically because it is a very uh sort of you know there is there is the sort of predatory um you know big label type of music and then there's this sort of ecosystem of various other 
mammals and and, uh, <laughs> and sort of amoeba fighting for their existence within within the creative arts. Um, and that yes, the, the, the UK music scene has produced some incredible artists over the last decade or so. And I mean, there are things that there are there, there is anomalies all the time. You know, Burial is a very good example of an electronic music artist that to me has written the, the, the sound of London and the sound of London at night in a really profound way and didn't engage in the type of creative process that most artists were doing in electronic music. For example, his music's not quantized. It's not directly on the beat. It's it's composed as though it's done in a kind of a film score type way. And Quant- I think Explain these uh, those for layman's terms. I'm not familiar with that quantized... What does that, what does that the mean? The quantized is when you listen to a piece of music and you're tapping your foot, how much that tap drifts back and forth. If you listen to a record from the 80s, those things, you know, they would record a drum kit live being played by a drummer. Whereas in electronic music, you can now snap that beat to specifically, you know, this second or that millisecond. And so what you end up with is this very, very mathematically aligned Oh, was with a natural drummer, there would be a, they would be, you know, a sixteenth of a second off the beat, perhaps exactly. sometimes, or, or or fast on the beat. And actually, we've got to the point now where, during the early hardware sampling days of things like an MPC, um, which is a, essentially like a little drum pad that you can hit the beat into, or you can sample from a, a record. Um, there's what's called a groove setting to to kind of bring back that feel of the the pulse of a, a natural beat. Um, but go, you know, going back to the sort of the creative art scene, um, you know, I, I think that that studying music is is about the technical mastery of sound design and about understanding the history of music and how in some senses i think that the history of music is just one lens on which we can look at the history of humanity you look at history and in, in, when you look at the musical reaction to world events or the fact that there is you know a whole uh discipline of the philosophy of music you know in some senses i think that it is the most interesting way of looking at history in 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 general um and we have always had some form of musical you know relationship with music as a species um at least in 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 sort of you know history in the history of humanity rather than sort of early man um and so there's something i think really interesting about the idea that you know why was humanity? Why why were Peritan and Leonan making music? Well, it was it was to sort of spread the word of of God at the time. You know to to create these beautiful um, pieces of music that would um, you know proselytize religion, um, but also just for the enjoyment of of the people. And and you know then you think about the way that the music was constructed in relation to the architecture, and the architecture was constructed in a certain way because of the culture of the time you know all these things are inextricably well, I wonder if it was even so, this stuff was like deliberate like it or whether it's a, it's an almost like uh darwinian survival of the fittest of music and you've got you know a hundred different artists all producing some slightly different music and only one of them is going to actually make it through and become at all popular and that happens to be the one mm. that, let's say they've all got equal talent they're all producing really good music but it's all subtly different but the one that actually rings true in that time period is the one that sits with so you know i mean i don't know i don't know the the background to this but i can imagine the stuff you know the sort of rise of rock and roll in the 50s was younger generations coming out um a little tired of feeling indebted to their their fathers and mothers who fought in the second world war and kind of wanted to be a bit more rebellious and there's all sorts of freedoms coming in there and that resulting in that music i, I don't know the history well enough to, to sort of say stuff like that but I, I think that's what you're saying is there's these changes in society and yeah wh- whether it that that tough life of a musician there's a little bit of a random chance of do you hit on the popular mood with your kind of style and feeling of your your music 
Yeah, no, an artist have always been creating in response to what's going on around them. That's that sort of, uh, you know, it's a, tr- a truism. And what do you think of the next? What's um, I mean, let's think major world events, real big change. I mean, COVID-19, has, has that changed perceivably the, a style of music or is it too early to say? I think there are some very big cultural shifts. I mean, we're, we, we've, uh, we're, we are in short form music and that is not a that is not a new thing you know we've been we've been deviating towards shorter form music explain since. what that means sorry Jules shorter form well i suppose that um you know the fact that that ideally in modern society we have a piece of music that's no much longer than 3 minutes and you know if it's any longer than that then it's there's a radio edit and all those kind of things we've we've actually been heading in that direction for the last couple of centuries um, now it's a TikTok jingle of I mean I'm not on TikTok. What is it, like seven seconds or something? Well, this is the interesting thing is that they've now upped that to three minutes, and I think that's musically driven. You know, we very very often now look at cultural shifts being you know we talk about music as a response to things, whereas music actually, in some senses, um, there are some foundational things. You know, these sort of consensus about how long a piece of music is or like what is or is not you know tonality for example is a, is a consensus that we've reached in the west about what we think is should sound right and all those kind of things whereas you know if you went to indonesia or you went to you know the arabian Peninsula, for example the the consensus on tonality is going to be completely different um there are these things where music has influenced you know the, the society in these kind of profound ways and we just rarely reflect on it really you know so say for example you know the the anomaly of the the club. We've been dancing to I music. That club, you know, Fifty Cent in yeah. the club. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, we've been we've been using music to socialise for for centuries, right? And there's no real difference between a you know dance hall big band in you know the early twentieth century the guy with the biggest cave back in the day. You know, had had a nice fire yeah. and. <laughs> Yeah, and um, banging his 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 uh his sort of like a saber tooth tiger skin drum. And I I put a question back to you. What what are we doing when we do this? What what is the what is the 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 activity that's taking place when we go to these type of type of venues? So I think you could be completely bleak about it and say, oh, it's just about it's an accepted societal place for people to act a little bit silly, have some drinks kind of mm. like perform a little bit and sort of do some of the stuff that they're not normally used to do or as, as an escape i've heard other things some slightly more uh nicer ways of looking at it and saying that music's a bit of a collective experience sometimes and there's perhaps more to concerts maybe more to club but um you know people go to do something collectively and as a group experience these shared emotions of the of what that song is trying to convey and there's something very kind of like communal and and um ancestral about doing doing that as, as a group as, as 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 the sort of social beings that we are what do you think yeah i i would agree i think um i enjoy uh i let you know let, let's kind of unpack this a bit more because let's talk specifically about club music i think people are given the opportunity to perform they're dancing they're having fun they're showing off they're letting loose they're creating you know fun moments together they're bonding all these things are happening and you know why do we why do we go to a certain place to do that it's because someone is curating that experience for us your the drinks that you like are being curated for you the food the you know the the atmosphere the lighting but the most important thing you you know almost all of these things can be awful but the music really can't it, it really can't be terrible because if if you don't have some way of you know taking part in the experience which i think music kind of gives you then you know why why are you why are you there you're just standing around in silence it's I not know, Jules, i reckon enough straw pedos down range and you get some <laughs> Gregorian chants on and i could still be <laughs> throwing some shapes yeah but i mean you know it could and it can be silly music it doesn't have to be like, i'm not saying that there's some kind of you know hierarchy of, of what's good or not i mean everybody loves a cheesy you know, nineties banger night out, or go to an eighties night. Or... You're right about that collective vibe, about that moment of people coming together. 
Um, because you're right, you can have isolated instances of a few lunatics within the kind of uh, the group could 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 go a bit nuts, whatever's going on. But actually, for for the majority of people to get with the vibe and therefore mm. it to, for it to feel like that collective experience, it's got to be just right, hasn't it? And you're right, the, the you know if the music and the vibe isn't there, um, that's absolutely critical. And so to think about the difference between, I mean, for me. There's obviously a distinction between music production and DJing. DJing is, in and of itself, its own discipline. And in some senses, it's there as a way to, you know, I think that, yes, you can make, you can make music in isolation, but there's something quite fun about the feedback that you get from an audience about what is or isn't interesting. And you get to listen to other DJs and you get to, what are your signs? Give me some of your like. If when you're DJing, um, where is he DJ? Are you able to say? Yeah, so um, I've been resident DJ at a night called Venus and Flames, put on some by some very good friends of mine. Um, is that is that in a certain club? Is it? Uh, up, uh, recently, it's been at the Color Factory in Hackneywick, and long may that continue. A really fun venue. And um, where can people find you? What day of the week can they find you there? Uh, so. It's a it's a monthly event, generally speaking. Um, I'm not sure when the next one's going to be, uh, but watch this space because we are thinking about, or at least uh, another uh, group of mine are thinking about doing a new night uh, in Peckham at Four Quarters. So uh, watch this space because we're we're thinking about what 2023 is going to bring. I haven't quite decided yet. Yeah, guys, there'll be links in the description to to Jules' socials, the JVN socials, so you'll be able to sort of track what, what what's coming up. So, come on, Andy, what are, what are some of the clues in the in the crowd that perhaps you wouldn't, you know, not not the obvious stuff. Everyone's sort of shouting and whooping. How are you kind of thinking? Are oh, people are getting the vibe on something? Maybe the song's a little bit less chill, more chill. It's not the kind of thing that's going to have everyone, you know, shrieking like Mr. Brightside's just come on. But you're like, this is landing well. I really enjoy when people forget that they've finished their drink or that they're busting for a piss. There's something really fun about when you've just been grooving for half an hour and you're thinking, you know, God, I, I'm even I'm gasping for a drink and everyone else here is just launching themselves around the dance floor and having a really good time. There's something really fun about that. And I think that's something that most DJs, if they're honest, were trying to capture is just kind of, you know, you, you want to... Um, you want people to have that suspension of disbelief, like when you're watching a film and you're completely engaged with it, and you're being flow, like for create kind of flow, but not 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 yeah. necessarily tied to to doing some sort of really concentration work. It's sort of a perhaps a slightly different form of it. It is that kind of flow state, and you're you've given you know people ask about what does yeah you know, what am I looking for? What am I thinking about? I'm I think there are lots of ineffable things that we sense about a group of people doing something and there's some really obvious stuff you know people walk it on and off onto or off the dance floor and you can't always get that right you have to be brave and have conviction in what you're doing and sometimes it doesn't work and you learn and you adjust and you you reflect on it and you think actually you know what 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 happened there is that i surprised people in a way that they didn't enjoy it or what I should have done is this or the journey they thought they were going to go on. And that sometimes that brings opportunity, right? You know, for example, you don't want to be, it's not about being predictable music in and of itself composition across all manner of different genres and, and uh, eras has been about toying with your expectation. You know, the, uh, yeah, you listen to kind of like, duh, 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 duh. And it sets you in a certain place of anticipation for what's happening next. And the same is the case in curating a, an evening with DJ. It's not just putting a record on back to back. You, you, we've all been to a night where we haven't known what the music is. And you get people who say, oh, I don't want to go there because I won't know what the music is. Well, I think that that's a profound lack of imagination. Yeah, you know what? I, I completely agree. There's nothing, oh, I can't, there's nothing worse than the sort of the overplayed song or songs of the kind of current whatever six months and you're like oh god not this again mm. um but you're right yeah something new that's engaging is 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 absolutely so much more of an experience 
um, because you know that everybody in that room is discovering the song as it goes along rather than like, yeah, no, what's coming next? Yeah, here comes this little little drop and then there's a build and, you know, um, I think that's so much more kind of sort of real. Um, and, and I've been to gigs like that where, you know, I went to go and see um, Pev and, and Hodge at Fabric and they played this absolute banger in 3-4. And I looked at my friend who also is an artist and, and DJ and very accomplished musician, drummer, guitarist, etc. And he just sort of caught each other's eye. And we he could we could both tell without saying anything. We just thought, this is really fun. You know, they've layered... 3-4, explain that to everyone. Am I right? Is that the waltz kind of rhythm? Is that a... It is, yeah. So it's essentially a waltz rhythm, which is so funny, isn't it? Because we, we don't... If you're not a musician, there we go. Yeah, and it's actually a very traditional dance rhythm which we don't see very much in popular music anymore it's mostly in 4-4 you think about house or techno mostly in 4-4 or in some form of uh you know divisible by two time signature uh and what they were doing was layering that 3-4 track over a 4-4 track and creating this this um resolution that only occurred every seven beats which was very fun and it created Ah, created this, this movement this unsettled feeling in the rhythm which created m- movement on the dance floor and people started to uh, you know react to that and so you know a very skilled dj like hodge or pev will understand how to toy with that expectation and to and to create a, a mood but but it also doesn't have to be that complicated you know i was playing some records at a house party and um Everyone was just having a really fun time, and the track that just popped into my head for that was, um, you know, Harry Styles' track. And I never played music like that. It was just really fun. I think it was like 150 BPM. I'd been playing a load of drum and bass, and I thought this is this is a fun piece of music to go into the the small hours in. And everybody loved it, and it's fun, and it doesn't have to be that academic. It's it's just that sometimes. The more that you play with this, the more you, you can train that intuition. And I think that kind of goes back full circle. It's, you know, why why try to achieve any level of mastery in music? Why try try to understand the entire history of music preceding what you're doing right now? It's so that you're 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 tuning that intuitive feeling about what is or isn't gonna make people have fun um, or, or create some kind of mood. Or, you know, write a piece of music that makes them feel a certain way. I think you've hit, you know, you've hit there on a on probably a tru- truism about a lot of aspects of professions and and life of of that whole thing of the of the rule book. You know, there's the there's probably somebody's articulated a much better quote, but something about like in order to throw the rule book out the window, you need to sort of have learned all its pages first. Mm. And I think you know that it can be definitely a trap of um, us all when we're younger to kind of want to skip to that stage of 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 trashing the rule book and sort of say, hey all that stuff that's been done before is garbage. I, you know, I'm going to do it from first principles. I'm going to make it up myself, but actually you're right in that sort of by going through that mechanism of learning what's come before and, and, and studying the different approaches out there in all sorts of things, you're just richening, you're richening your mind in terms of all, where all the little connections sit. So that when you do know it, when you are breaking the rules, you're kind of breaking it, but you still, uh, you know where to take it with that break rather than it just sort of becoming chaos. I agree. And and so many writers have, have talked about this. And, um, you know, for example, in Outliers, you know, how, how quickly can I get to my 10,000 hours? And is the thing that I'm doing my 10,000 hours in, am I am I optimizing for something that I'm actually going to be able to do in my time? I mean, we're living in, a, in an era where there is boundless choice. There's actually something quite, quite fascinating about this. So again, and again, going back to the idea of, of, uh, of constraint, where if you're let loose onto Spotify without any form of algorithmic support, you know, what are you going to listen to? Where are you going to find new music? Where do you, because this is the other side of, of, of production and DJing is finding interesting stuff. You know, there's, there's a, there's an entire kind of um, gatekeeping industry of 
DJs who really pride themselves on their their record digging ability and their their sort of selection ability in terms of just finding something that suits a mood. I mean, look at you know these these events that have blown up over the last five years or so, like Boiler Room. There was one in I can't remember which DJ it was in Northern Ireland where he just bangs on an ABBA track as as the closing set, and it just hits exactly what that crowd wanted at the time. They wanted to fist pump, jump up and down. The bars close. They all know that they're going home. I was going to ask you whether you've got an emergency track. You know, have you got? Uh, oh my god, the dance floor's uh, empty. I- I've played a couple of things. It's not filling up. What am I going to? You know, I mentioned the classics. We got. If we're in the south, we maybe miss the bright side. If we're up north, we're going for something by Oasis. Uh, what's What's your emergency break in case of uh, in, in in case of uh, empty dance floor? I'd love to say that I have one, but honestly, it really depends on the dance floor because some dance floors are just meant to be dead at that time. You know, you're, if you're turning up to a, a venue at 8 p.m. and people want background music, they don't, they might not necessarily want to be dancing yet. So maybe it's meant to be dead. Maybe the, maybe the prep work you're doing is making the the DJ who comes on in an hour or two hours or three hours, um, you know, you build. That's when the introverts are out. The introverts love it before it gets busy. I can go in there. There's no queue for the bar. I can chat to my mates. So, you know, I've got a little bit of room to move about. Yeah. How, how, how are we targeting those guys? Yeah. I mean, I deviate to something slower tempo. I think that at the moment it would definitely be um, some form of kind of UK hip hop or drill or something like that, where, it suits the mood. People are kind of feeling a bit reflective. They haven't quite forgotten about work. You know, they've just come off, come, come, you know, finished work, gone home, got a shower, had something to eat, come out, you know. Um, I don't know. I think it just depends. And, and it, it, this is something fascinating, isn't it? The, the idea that you're sat behind a desk and um, you're trying to curate an experience for somebody that you've never met before <laughs> they're, they're stood you know 20 meters away at the bar getting a drink and you're thinking well how do i get that little ember of excitement going about this evening could i play something and and sometimes that could be playing something that everybody knows and just filling the dance floor or maybe it could just be finding that one or two people that will turn around and listen to a record that they've never heard before and think fuck, this is good. This is interesting. I've not heard this and I want to, you know, and it's cool when people are like getting Shazam out on their phone or they're recording something and they're coming up to you afterwards and saying, oh, that track you played earlier, like, what was that? Um, And, you know, again, that kind of comes back into this sort of gatekeeping discipline of record digging, you know, where do you find your cool stuff that that no one else has played? Um, because you know and and people it's also worth acknowledging that people go out to these events for different reasons sometimes they just want to hear tracks that they know and go home and whatever or maybe you get get it will you get a brief like if you're going i'm conscious that you do a sort of um uh, residency so maybe it's the same sort of vibe for each event but do you Mm. is it often that you you know you'll get sort of the if the sort of event owner will say to you hey this is what we're trying to what we're trying to get from the crowd yes uh, you're always starting from scratch a promoter uh will tell you generally speaking and it depends on the relationship you have with the promoter because um you know if you build up a very good relationship with the promoter they, they understand what your you know how you deliver on you know what you say you're going to do they understand what kind of music you're going to play and how you interact with an audience or um sometimes that can be quite difficult and there is friction in terms of what you're uh trying to achieve uh maybe you misunderstood the brief and i've had evenings where the crowd has been having a really good time and everybody's bouncing around but the promoter's pissed because they think that what i'm playing is rowdy or they don't like it or it's not what they envisage for the evening or it's not you know they think oh it's attracting the wrong type of crowd or that kind of thing and i just think well you know you've got what you've got i'm here to make sure people have a good time and ultimately i don't care who it is i just want them to enjoy what they're doing 
Um, I suppose you're liberated by the fact that you know you've got a you've got a day job. This is just this is just for fun. You can take it or leave it. Um, whereas I can imagine the. I mean, is it a, is it quite a kind of um, is it quite a competitive game if if uh, you know to get a to get into a into a, into a, into a club club, club uh, I can't speak club playing as a DJ. Yes, it, there are so many talented people in London, and there are so many interesting places to play. But there's far more people than there are, you know, venues and, and interesting promoters running nights. And ultimately, I have an entirely different set of anxieties and neuroses about doing my passion than I do about my day job. And so I treat it with just the same reverence. In some senses, even more sometimes. But like the 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 passion in which I put into it is 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 very different. Um, how did you how did you break in then? So we, we've got this kind of competitive environment. Um, was it luck? Was it luck? I, I sort of tend to think luck is rarely a thing. You sort of manufacture your own luck in most cases. Um, so, so I'd be curious to know, like, what was your sort of approach for this? Is something I want to do? Yeah, actually turning it into something you were doing. Community in a in a in a nutshell um i think unlike a lot of uh, musicians and creative people are by virtue of what they choose to do entrepreneurial and therefore they are inclined to build communities out of nothing and i was lucky that people that i love and respect both you know them and their art were people that were building communities and i got to be a part of that community and I'm certainly at a point now where I'm thinking, well, there's something else I want to create, you know, in terms of that community, in terms of a, a night for people who like that strange brand of music that I particularly enjoy or because they're out there. I go to nights and I hear them enjoying the stuff that other DJs are playing. Um, and and so I think that, you know, community uh, networking and Yes, making your own luck, seeking opportunities and things, and and building relationships with people. Because is it something that you collaborate? Do you sort of collaborate with other artists, or um, I, I, I feel like I've seen on your social media you collaborating with some singers. Is that right? Yeah. So I yeah I've I've collaborated um, with a with a number of different artists, and you know I've worked with with artists before. Um, I think that most most creative people are quite interested in that as well because you get to you get to explore somebody else's artistry as well as your own work alongside them and especially with DJs you you want to DJ with people that you enjoy going back to back with a, with another DJ if they're a good friend of yours is so much fun and just to to play this game of like and it's not even about you know it's not it's certainly not about one upping each other but there's something fun about that, right? You you know, you're building something and having somebody plug into your thinking and take it on a, you know, another direction or take it to another direction on that journey is so much fun. And so to be able to spend an evening, you know, two hours back to back on 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 the decks with somebody is is great. And that requires a lot of collab collaboration. And and I think that again, you know creative people tend to have that kind of intuitive emotional intelligence where they kind of understand how to do that sort of stuff it's you know again kind of first principles thinking like okay well you know the mood is kind of like this like how do i build upon that um or you know how do i move it in this direction or something that whole thing is very fun so yeah entirely community and, and collaboration I like that that link to um you know creativity being that play and being I mean the, the the popular term is emotional quotient 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 EQ at the moment. I'm not sure I'm a big fan of of of, of that as a concept. I, I think it's kind of a little bit mislabeled, but yeah, let's let's accept it as as people understand it EQ and that to what extent creativity is is a factor in someone being quite high in that? I suspect there's there's a fair degree of cor correlation, as you say. People who are yeah. creative are, are quite good at um, if they're good at tapping into their own sort of uh, 
human emotions and understandings in order to create creative stuff. They're probably a relatively decent at citing it out on other people. Um, because if you, want- you can kind of get that confusion in someone being very agreeable, you know, high in trait agreeableness, and people could say, oh, that's EQ. I'm not sure it necessarily is. I think you can get people who are quite high in agreeableness, but that doesn't mean they're necessarily good at, you know, reading people. They're just quite... Yeah, out- I, I find from personal experience, and no disrespect to any musicians, but they're certainly not necessarily a high correlation with agreeableness. Mm. Uh, certainly a high correlation of neuroticism um, about their art, because you're you're selling something that nobody has asked for. You're going out there saying who wants to who wants my you know who wants what i've got and nobody knows that it exists and so you're you're constantly market creating it's where this entrepreneurialness comes in well i think that entrepreneurialness and neuroticism is i mean this is a whole other episode are pretty tightly tied because it's always seen as a negative isn't it being high in trait neuroticism but actually i think it gives you that sort of dissatisfaction with the status quo which is what drives someone to be entrepreneurial and want to change things and want to improve things is that they're they may be actually a bit dissatisfied with things as they are, which probably comes out of that neuroticism. So, yeah, and they don't I think that's really And creatives don't want to be controlled. They want to create. And so then people are not interested in, you know, and I, I think that when they're in that mode of, of creativity without having to listen to what someone else's opinion is on it, they're not thinking about that. They're just making making stuff. I've made some objectively awful music um and many people probably think the music that i've put out on the internet is awful but when i'm making it i don't i don't care what people are going to think of it it's only on it's only later when you're starting to market it where it's incredibly painful that you're dealing with constant rejection all the time and that that's the nature of art but in and of itself people are just people just make stuff um and i think it requires that desire not to be controlled or constrained by anything just in the last minute um okay jules so talk to me um what's 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 happening in the future with with jvn um as a as in terms of creating music and also djing as perhaps slightly distinct but sometimes combined things what have you got coming up on the agenda where could people find you what have you got planned so i am working on uh, an EP, which will be a, a three-track um, release, the first leak of which is on SoundCloud at the moment. Um, so give it a listen. Let me know what you think. There's a little bit of little bit of uh, testing and adjusting to go on there before I, before I release it. But um, And then in terms of performance, um, yeah, I've got nothing booked in the imminent future, but we're looking at doing a night um, very soon at four quarters uh in peckham which will be for anyone who enjoys um a mix of techno uk garage funky house all sorts of stuff so uk funky um and maybe some drama bass in there if we if we decide we want to <laughs> uh so for anything like that um so yeah as and when i book gigs i'll be just putting them up on my instagram and uh i'm pretty rubbish at social media um so you know it's the, it is the single point of truth but um yeah i could probably do a better job of promoting it but those are yeah those are the things to look out for okay so look out for more marketing gimmicks for jvm music so i'm going to give jules, <laughs> jules a few a few little tips um but remember team if you are listening to this podcast you like what, what jules is talking about you you've maybe listened to his soundcloud and you actually go and visit him make sure you tell him that you're inspired to come because of things we find interesting podcasts because that'd be great to hear back that we've actually got some listeners going to see jules in person at one of his gigs um jules i've got to ask you the last cheeky question um we've been running with some sort of default podcast intro extra music for the duration of this podcast we we need to build our brand there and i think you could be the man to write us a little bit of a short jingle uh to be the podcast intro and and uh extra is it called an extra whatever the bit when the podcast ends um what do you reckon we'll put you on the spot there let's do it yeah i'm, I'm down <laughs> right, you've heard it there, team. just give me a give me a <laughs> 
I'll, I'll give him a creative brief and uh, you're going to get the, the spirit of things we find interesting via music written by JVN. Um, it's going to be bloody brilliant. Thanks everyone for joining us today. Jules, thanks for coming on the podcast. Hopefully it was a, a relatively enjoyable experience. It was. Thank you for having me. Very, very grateful for the opportunity. <laughs> grateful for our, our gigantic audience. Um, it'd be great to have Jules back on. I hope you've enjoyed today um some nice uh, discussions we've gone off on tangents we've enjoyed those tangents we've gone quite ph- philosophical and i think that's what we do on the podcast i think that's what people enjoy um so if you'd like to have jules back on the podcast drop us a little comment and we and and, and it would be good to get him on and, and do a few more sort of deep discussions if you are enjoying the podcast please give us a like please um give us a follow and more importantly share us with your with, with your mates and, and and maybe even with your family um, as a new sort of new and an and upcoming podcast, it's really the only way that we can grow is for you guys to share amongst uh, people you know. So if you are enjoying it, please give us a share and uh, hopefully that will, that will drive us to have some more interesting episodes in the future. Thanks, everyone.